Uh, well, I said, well, I'm from Korea. I was adopted in the United States as an infant, and I came back to experience my culture. This man started crying, a total stranger, starts crying, and he grabs my hand and starts patting it, and he says, thank you for coming back. It was such a difficult time for our country, and we lost so many of you. Okay, let's give you a quick. Let's give you an intro. Here. Okay. Let's give you an intro. Do you want? Do you want to give yourself an intro? Oh, I, 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 don't I have know. your professional title: world class wardrobe stylist extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say this is accurate, or do you want to add or subtract anything? <laughs> I I don't even know where to begin with that. I think it's I, accurate. Okay, okay. I, I I guess I'll accept this title. It feels like a huge responsibility. I told you about my girlfriend calling me the other day with her dream, and I was yeah. like, you know, and it was such a sweet dream, and it's such a blessing and such a gift. But at the same time, I was like, damn, this is a huge responsibility. What do I do? <laughs> I had a dream. You're an angel saving lives. <laughs> right. And, and you need to get started. <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay, well, thank you. thank you. Maybe I was hoping for a couple more years of my own time before I had to start saving lives. Right. But since you had the dream. But I guess, you know, when they all told you, like, yeah. this is a huge responsibility. I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready. I. That's, this is great. You know, this is great. Still figuring out how to do dad's 2019 taxes. <laughs> <laughs> the life saving has to hold off just a little longer. Just, I'm still preparing. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm building that time machine to go through the facts. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, the title might be a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. But yes, Kim Miller. Kim Miller. Kim Miller. I'm just uh, trying to get by, doing the best I can, uh-huh. surviving, and um, I don't know, doing what I can to make myself a better person. I love right? it. I right. think that shows. That that I, that I guess definitely shows. Maybe the title could be <clears throat> Kim Miller, potential better person. <laughs> She's got potential. <laughs> I can, I can dig that. I can dig that. Okay. Potential better person. <laughs> this is. This might need to be on a business card. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> so. Um, my, my my first question, which I don't think we need to actually ask anymore right. or answer, rather, is do you consider yourself to be a happy person? <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely, 100%. 1 million percent, yes. Okay. <laughs> I agree. From what I know of you, I completely agree. Thank you. I completely Thank agree. You. So, it doesn't mean that there's not moments of stress or hardship or, you know, uh, struggling or any of those things, but I try and always find myself back to this place. For sure, for sure. And might I say you do a fantastic job. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, you've got potential. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope. There's hope. Fingers crossed, man. <laughs> Give it time, but there is hope. There is hope. So, so, Kim Miller, potential better person. You are... You are Korean. Yes. Born in Korea. Yes. South Korea. Yes. I presume. Yes. Seoul. Seoul. Yes. I love Korea because Korea, Korea's got soul. Yeah, right? Korea is a beautiful place. Got it's, soul. it's got so much soul. It's mm -hmm. uh it's a really beautiful place. Um and I'm I'm really proud of that. I'm um, you know, I'm adopted, so that was that's my immigration story, I guess, is that I was adopted from South Korea and I'm proud of that as well. Yeah. Um, At what age? I was six months old. Six months. Six months. Okay. Six months. So um, in my 20s, I thought that it was important for me to go back to Korea, experience my culture, see where I came from. Yeah. And um, and it was really, it was really beautiful. Like my whole family, they were all so supportive. And it was a really great journey for me to experience. Um on my own, you know. You went it, solo. Yes, yes. Okay. On my own, and it's you know, I mean, it's a very, very personal experience, and so that's why I felt I needed to do it on my own. Yeah. Um, and then also the discovery that happened along the way. So, um, for whatever reason, when I came to America, I was given what's called a birth data card. And it's like this laminated yellow piece of paper on a typewriter that says my name and the date of birth and where I was born. A birth data card. It's called a birth data card. So when I go to get my passport, it's no longer an acceptable form of birth identity. No way. So Wait, I Wait, when, when was this that you went to go uh, get your passport? It was like in the late 90s. Okay. So... I then have to go to the Capitol with my dad and have, show them all of this paperwork for them to create a birth certificate for me. Wow. And part of that, some of the documentation that I needed was in my adoption file. So I reached out to the adoption agency, explained the situation, requested my adoption file, and mm. they asked if I was looking for birth family. And mm. I said no. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, um, you know, ultimately, I know that in South Korea, the, it's adoption, giving your child up for adoption is still very stigmatized. Hmm. I didn't want to show up on someone's door and disrupt whatever place they were in in their life. Right. Potentially bringing shame to them 
potentially bringing back hard memories or hard emotions that they've already done their best to work through. Um, So my answer was no. And they offered me um, another option called a passive list where I, if there's any birth family looking for me, I have essentially already signed permission to the adoption agency for my information to be given. Uh. So I didn't feel that anybody was missing from my life, but if somebody felt that I was missing from theirs, I would welcome them. Wow. This is the passive list. Mm -hmm. You are passively welcoming. Absolutely. Okay. So this... I'm not actively searching, right. but if somebody is, then I've given them a direct route to find yeah. me theoretically. Right, right. And that's that's hefty. That's something that, I mean, even in, in the world, not just in adoption, but this also, I'm curious if this also exists in like sperm donor or egg donor. Yeah. Right. That's... In, in that world as well, where you can say, yeah, you know, they can, they can reach out and, you know, anything like that, the passive list as well. But this is fascinating. So you were, you were on the journey culturally. Yes. You're like, I want to go see my motherland. Yes. Yeah. And, and just be with my people, just feel it, see it, smell it, share everything. Yes. And you also were very confident. It sounds like you were clear that, yeah, I'm not worried about finding my, yeah. my birth parents or anything right. like that. You're just, it, it was the culture. Yeah. What, how, okay. <laughs> I feel like this is something that is rare, but I, I'm also aware that, cause you and I talked a little bit about yeah. this, that there's so many misconceptions around adoption and, and everything that has to go with it. Absolutely. <clears throat> so I feel like that's a unique space for somebody to be in to to just have that opportunity to say yeah you know locate the birth parents and and opt out of that in your experience is that something that is pretty unique to you or is it pretty common was was the adoption agency were they surprised when you said no no i'm good i just want to go yeah Yeah, just go see yeah they were like i mean they were they were respectful of my answer and i did talk to my dad about it because um I think that you are right and that maybe it is maybe unique. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for all adoptees. and right. But the few that I do know, they are interested in finding birth family. Yeah. And that is a wound for them. Whereas for me, I am a pretty practical person. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose to heal that wound with the narrative that I gave myself. And yeah. that is enough. Yeah. And I don't harbor that. I right. just, I'm like, this is my decision. This is it. Moving forward. Here we go. And my dad and I talked about it. My family was like so amazing. They threw a big party for me before I went. <sighs> and um, my dad was driving me home from the party. And I said, dad, everyone keeps asking me if I'm looking for birth family. And they seemed really shocked when I say, no, is it weird that I don't want to do this? And he said, Kimberly, I've always known that there was going to be a time in your life that you would have to make this decision and is yours alone to make. Mm. That's beautiful. And that was it. 
So, you know, my dad gave me the confidence and the permission to have my own, to let it be my own personal decision yeah. and that I didn't have to rationalize it or justify it or dig at it or pick at it or anything like that. I can yeah. just move forward. Shout out to your dad. That's big. That's big. You know, because I mean, there's, I, I feel like there's a lot of, even just putting myself in that situation, you know, there's, you have, you have your child that you've raised from, I mean, six months, right? Mm -hmm. From six months on and now she's in her 20s. Yeah. And you've done your best. And there's some level, of, I mean, if you have any level of ego that's going to override what's best for your child, then you're going to be like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want them to meet the birth parents, all that stuff, right? Sure, sure. And for him to give that answer, to, to just say, hey, you know, this is entirely yours and, you know, be supportive, whatever you decided. That's a beautiful move on his part. It's really, well, and again, like, I, I, you know, for him to have this sort of awareness. Yeah. To say, like, okay, at some point, my children will need to make this decision. Yeah. I can't make this decision for them. Right. I can't, you know, I, I just have to allow them to make this decision. Yeah. Well, I mean, and a lot of people would try to shelter Right. They sure. try to shelter or hide or withhold or, or any any level of things that aren't the hey, this is in your hands, you right. know, yeah. because as a parent, you would try to, you know, you would try to protect or guard your children from anything. So even if ego isn't necessarily the driver here, that sense of I'm trying to protect you and and all that and he, and for him to just trust you and your judgment and your decision making and, and all of that, that that's a it's huge. That's hu that's huge. It's that's huge. huge. So there's a few things I want to dive into here. <clears throat> First, let's talk about your siblings. You have five younger brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. So um, my parents, Harry and Bernice, were married. Mm -hmm. They uh, tried to have children mm -hmm. unsuccessfully. I think that this was pretty painful. And from what I've heard from other family members, my my mom never talked about it directly but i think that they had lost several babies oh no and i mean i think that that was a very deep wound yeah for my mom um i think at one point my dad said something along the lines of like we tried everything you know my your mom took those damn shots and so like maybe there were some early trials of ivf that they tried <clears throat> right um, and then they were just like, we'll adopt. Yeah. So they apply for adoption. They were told that it would be a two year wait for a baby girl. And they wanted a baby girl specifically. Yes. They wanted a they, girl. they apply for adoption. They want a baby. They want a baby girl. Mm -hmm. They did an international adoption because it was less expensive. Oh, okay. Fiscal, yes. fiscal move. I fiscal like it. Move. I can dig you know, it. I mean, they're blue collar <laughs> workers. Yeah. And um, they were just like, we don't care. We just want a baby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and this was in the 70s or uh, mid 70s. And then a year later, they get a phone call. We have a baby boy coming from Vietnam tomorrow. Do you want him? Yep. Quote. My mom calls my dad at work. Our baby's coming tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we got 24 hours. Oh my <laughs> goodness. That quick. That quick. And mom just made the decision like She's, without dad. Just, what? Like, yeah, what? send him on down. We're yes, gonna, yeah. <laughs> we'll we be there. We'll be there. We've been trying for this for 
10 years. Yeah. Like, we have a baby. It's co- okay, fine. Tomorrow, great. Right. But, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, and I feel like that in itself speaks to how desperately they wanted yeah. a child and yeah. how much they wanted a family. Definitely. And so where, where's your, where, that's your older brother? That's my older brother. So he came from Vietnam. From Vietnam. Okay. At the uh, tail end of the Vietnam war, mm-hmm. he was on what was called, I think it was called like operation baby airlift or something where basically the U S was losing support for the war here at home. Right. And so what they did was they went into Vietnam and they started spreading these rumors. The Viet Cong's coming, they're taking their babies, they're burning babies, they're killing babies. Give us your babies, we'll take them to the US, we'll keep them safe, and after the war, we'll bring them back. And people were so desperate that they were putting their babies on planes with no paperwork, nothing. Oh my goodness. Meanwhile, they are adopting out these children here in the US with no conversation about like, well, we've promised to give these babies back. Like you're just fostering until the end of the war. They never, so here the US parents are getting babies that they've been desperately longing and Mm -hmm. wanting for with no expectation that that child would ever be given back. Right. In Vietnam, you have these families waiting for their children to come home. Right. And then meanwhile, they're using these babies as propaganda to try and gain support for the war in the U.S. We are doing a good thing. We are saving babies. These people are giving their babies up. They're throwing babies away. They're like, you know, we are saving babies, support the war. How much of that was was accurate? How Like, was this a thing that was going on in Vietnam widely or was this a one-off situation where it was like, oh, we happened to see this and so we're going to take this story, run with it? It I went mean, on for years. So it, so the the operation, was it baby lift? Yes, baby airlift or something. Baby airlift. Yeah. So that was going on for years, flying Vietnamese children, Vietnamese babies into the U.S. and this was some level of propaganda to try to build more support. Like, hey, look, we're doing a great thing in Vietnam. It's not just what you guys thought it was. We're actually saving children. Right. All that stuff. How much of the stories that were being told of Vietnamese children and babies being thrown away, burned, Mm -hmm. torched, how much of that was even accurate? I I don't know that there was much. If if, at all. If at all. Wow. Um. And so, and there's um there's a documentary called Daughter from Da Nang that is gut wrenching, that covers on this. I will, where, be, I will be watching this. Yes, 100%. yes, because it also talks about you know this woman. She goes back to Vietnam, and mm-hmm. here is her mother, who's like, I've been waiting for you all of these years, and like they don't even speak the same language. She she doesn't speak any Vietnamese. She doesn't She's, speak any Vietnamese. Mom doesn't speak any nothing. English. And there's like this huge cultural divide. Oh my goodness. And in Vietnam, culturally, when one member of the family goes to the US, they send money back right. to help the family. Yeah. And so at some point during the trip, like, and this woman is like, this poor woman is totally wigged out. She was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't even know you. And like, the mom is crying. Yeah. And like, I've been waiting for you all these years and things. And then at one point the brother sat her down and they're like, 
so how much will you be able to send home? And she's like, you just want to use me for my money. And like, it's just, it's gut wrenching. Daughter of Danae. Daughter of Danae. Okay. I absolutely need to watch this. Yes. It's, um, it's gut wrenching. And I had heard stories growing up from other people in the family about my parents getting a letter saying that my brother might need to be sent back. Oh, really? Yes. And my parents never talked about this, but after my mom passed, I found these files. And this is crazy. She has a binder an inch thick where she kept meticulous notes about the adoption process. Who she talked to, when she talked to them, how long they talked for, what they talked about. I love it. I love right? this. And in that, she was court ready, legal, yes, legal battle she ready. Was, Let's go. Yes, this is my yes. child. This, this like, child's not going right, anywhere. Exactly. She like oh, documented the whole process so very thoroughly. And within that binder, I found a letter from the government saying that they might need to send him back. Wow. So, and how do you know how much later this was from when he was adopted in the first place? I want to say it was with. Then, like a year, maybe two okay. after. Okay. But so <clears throat> my my parents get my brother, mm-hmm. and then the adoption agency is like, "Well, we still have your paperwork in for a baby girl," oh, and right. they're like, "Okay, give us a baby girl." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but only if she's got potential. Yeah, give me a potentially better person (laughs) and we'll take her. Wow. Okay, so your older brother is Vietnamese and he was adopted from Vietnam in the Operation Baby Airlift. Yes, in 75. 75. And then you come along. Yep. Korean. Yep. And then you have five younger siblings or four Yes. So this happens and like everyone, you know, is doing their thing, living their life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then when I was seven, my brother was nine, Harry and Bernice divorced. Mm. Harry met, uh, Harry was with Charlotte Mm -hmm. who had a daughter from a previous relationship, my sister, Laura. Mm -hmm. And then Harry and Charlotte went on to have four more children together really yes wow so harry ended up having children of his own yes oh my goodness right okay and so so were you then raised with harry and charlotte no i was raised with bernice Bernice. and then her later partner dennis Mm -hmm. and like here we go okay <laughs> you don't have to dive too deep yeah. into this but. yes yes so dennis was dennis and kevin clashed pretty mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. and i was young mm-hmm. but i mean part of it was that i mean you know dennis was not a stellar person mm-hmm. but Above and beyond that, I always wondered because Dennis was a Vietnam vet. Oh. If that was potentially some of the source of the clash is that 
you know, here is this man with PTSD from fighting the Vietnamese now raising a Vietnamese child. Oh my goodness. The plot thickens. Right. That's right. I mean, you know, mili- you- military, you know, my same thing. My family come from a military family, parents in the army, uncles, army, brothers, air force, all these things. And the insight on this and seeing how the perspective of who the enemy is yep. and how that shifted over different eras and things to go from your time, your career, your time spent, which maybe then has even lost friends, you know, and, and comrades, colleagues, all this yes. stuff that now that that's an intense if you don't have the mental capacity to do the work or or if you haven't done the sure. work to get over that that's something that's really re- i would imagine is really hard to digest right and then every day you're seeing and raising and supporting this child that is a product in your mind of the enemy sure Sure, but then this child is also seeing you as an enemy of trying to take the place of their father, mm-hmm. who is now, I mean, like, dad was off raising his own family. Exactly. Like, he wasn't there. We would get mail Christmas presents, maybe. Mm-hmm. I would call him at the beginning of the year and be like, hey, dad. And he's like, happy birthday. I'm like, nope, not my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that was Kevin's, and you missed it. But, Whoops. <laughs> you know, I mean, dad wasn't there, and so, like, there's, I mean, there's, like, it gets deep, right? I mean, you quickly fall into the mud. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. So, so you have your, so your older brother, Vietnamese, yourself, Korean, and then the the five younger siblings are, are, one was married into, but the whole family's white. Oh, yeah. White, born and raised, or not born, but yep. raised in Portland. Yep. Portland, Oregon. Yep. So white family raised in Portland. This brings me to what I wanted to dive into earlier as well with your visit to Korea. The the return to the motherland and that experience of, of you going, you know what, I'm going to head back out here. And, and there's this, this interest that I think most people feel is. I wonder what it's like, like where I come from, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. What Even if you were raised in the same place, like the lineage of where my people come from. So I'm curious how your, how your identity with your Korean culture, with being a, a being an Asian woman, mm-hmm. a Korean woman in America, raised in a white family mm-hmm. and as an adopted Korean woman in a white mm-hmm. family, right? How much of your identity that you, I guess that you had kind of nailed down or, or some level figured out before you stepped foot on South Korea's soil, how much of that was your own figuring out and how much of that did your family actually help cultivate to, to encourage you to... How deep was my Stockholm syndrome? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> How deep was your Stockholm syndrome? Yes, yes. Tell me, tell me. Do share. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm curious um, that. Yeah, that you identity. Know, honestly, like in my in my twenties, like I I really didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. and um, I will say. 
going back to Korea helped me become who I am. Beautiful. How so? Um, first of all, I never knew I could be loved like that. I, you know, part of the trip there, I knew that again, like within Korean culture, the adoption is a bit of a stigma. Right. And on the way there, I had my flight was Portland to San Francisco, San Francisco to Seoul, um, or Incheon. And our plane broke down in San Francisco. Brilliant. We stayed the night in San Francisco, boarded a new plane the next day, and then left. And in that 24 hours, I met this Korean-American businessman who was so incredibly generous to me. So incredibly just, you know, okay, what? You're, you're from Korea? You're going back? I'm going to take care of you. I got you, girl. Really? Yes, absolutely. He tried to get me bumped up to business class so I could sit with him mm -hmm. on the flight to Korea. Mm -hmm. There weren't any seats, so he gave up his seat and sat and flew coach with me. Are you kidding me? No. Go on. Right? He was on his way to, I think he had meetings in like Shanghai or Taiwan or something, but he had a layover in Korea. And so he left the airport and went with me to help me find the guest house that I was staying in. Oh my goodness. What and, an angel. Oh, it goes on. <laughs> so what I don't know is that in South Korea, they don't use street names. Like, mm. you know, the guidebook, they're like, oh, it's between, like, this and this. But, like, nobody knows. Like, you grow up on a street. You don't know the name of that street. Like, really? Yes. And so we can't find the place. <laughs> he borrows somebody's cell phone mm -hmm. to call the woman who doesn't speak English mm -hmm. and explains to her. He, she was like, oh, I... We were expecting her yesterday, and he was like, yeah, our our plane oh. broke down. Like, he explains the whole situation, and he's like, we don't know where, where we can't find it. And he's like, yeah, we're on the corner with the pharmacy, and she's like, I'll be right there. She comes down, and she gets us. They given up my room. Oh, no. Because I never showed up. You're right, right? Yeah. I, I never showed up. Well, they gave guess... up my room. Yeah. So they put me in a neighbor's apartment mm -hmm. that is vacant for a couple of nights, and then they move me into the house. Right. They, you know, he takes me out to dinner. I thank him so much. We say our goodbyes. He flies off, and he's, I think he was supposed to be gone for like 10 days or something, and yeah. I was there for three weeks. And um, 10 days later, he comes back. He's supposed to be in Korea, I think, for, for meetings or something for like another week, right? right? He calls the guest house looking for me. <laughs> and wants to invite me to dinner with his family. Oh my goodness. The woman <sighs> who is running the guest house will only allow him to take me to dinner if I am back at a certain time. His, she wants to know where we're eating, 
who is going to be there? Like, it, will your aunties be there? Were you, you know, that sort of thing. We are to remain in public spaces. And he is to send me back in a car. I cannot ca- catch the subway back. Right. Like, these are the rules. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, what? You want to take her to dinner? Well, okay. So where are you guys going? Like, you know, she's like, and she's negotiating all of this in Korean before she says, here, the phone's for you. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea. I have no idea. She's like, man, she's going in on some business deal or something going on right now. Whatever she negotiates, she's getting a good price on it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) some other times so the way that the guest house was set up is that you come in through a gate to this open courtyard and to your right there is a bathroom and then rooms that open up to the courtyard to your left there is also rooms that open up to the courtyard and then there is and then facing you is the main guest house with the kitchen the you know a bathroom the dining area and a bedroom Mm -hmm. And that's where I was staying, was in that main guest house. Uh-huh. And uh, there was, I met a woman who was from Japan who was staying in one of the other rooms facing the courtyard. And she asked me, she was like, and it's February, it's cold. Yeah. By the way, like Korea is very far north <laughs> in, you know, the hemisphere. Right. And it's Cold. It's like negative twenty degrees. Ooh. Cold. It is cold. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so I befriend one of the girls that's staying there, and she and I are out, and she asked me, she was like, "Do you ever have to pee in the middle of the night?" And I was like, "No, I sleep through the night." And she was like, "I have. To, I wake up every night in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and I have to go through the courtyard to get to the bathroom." Oh no. Would you want to trade rooms with me? And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Right. No problem, right? Yeah. The woman who runs the guest house, her name's Mrs. Lee, and she speaks Korean, English, and Japanese. Mm-hmm. So she says to Mrs. Lee, she was like, hey, you know, um, Kim and I want to switch rooms. Uh, I have to go pee in the middle of the night. It's cold out. Kim said that it was okay. And Mrs. Lee, in Japanese, says to her, have you spent your whole life only thinking of yourself? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> have you spent your whole life only thinking of yourself Kim is traveling by herself she is in the guest house so that we can keep an eye on her you have your friends to watch out for you you will not be trading rooms oh my goodness Mrs. Lee <laughs> taking her to school that is incredible it like I said, so cared for, so loved, so watched over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is that's the type of wisdom that I feel we so deeply lack in the Western <laughs> Westernized culture, right? In I, I think back to even in high school, I remember a lot of the conversations with even with my mom, with my pops is we've we've talked about for years it never made sense to me even in high school when i wanted to get out leave all this mm-hmm. stuff right graduate go on my own move away whatever it never made sense to me why that was the norm 
to just, you're 18, get out, you go. And that never clicked for me, right? It never mm-hmm. settled to where I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I always admired the collectivistic cultures, even in America, right? Where mm-hmm. it's a lot of times it would be immigrant families and, and there's multiple yes. generations living under one roof. And there's all of these, there's so much that just appealed to me of, of different collectivistic cultures, right? It didn't really start to make sense until later on when I started Connect the Dots, but looking backwards. And this is one of those things that we lack so deeply here is is that we we need mrs lee in in every neighborhood to just straight up like shut us down hey i want this have you spent your whole life only thinking of yourself you're like no we agreed she was cool but that's that's mind-blowing and that perspective shift is that's very where can i find that you know right i'm just like oh that's that is amazing right so this is what this is you're there for three weeks how far into your stay is this this was like five days (laughs) (laughs) we're not even at the halfway point we got a lot of (laughs) yeah so <laughs> that is that it that has to be the last thing that woman expected Mrs. Lee to say. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's but, hilarious. See, and again, so Richard, the businessman who flew with me on the flight, he right. was one of the things that he was explaining to me is that um, you know, Japan and Korea are pretty close mm-hmm. geographically, but so different culturally. Mm-hmm. And that in Japanese culture, generally speaking, I mean, I'm not Japanese. I'm sorry if I got this wrong, but, um, you know, people are taught to be submissive. Mm-hmm. Women are, are, are quiet and soft-spoken and in Korea, women are fierce. <laughs> opinions. Korean women are uh-huh. opinionated and vocal. <laughs> well, hey, if Mrs. Lee is any indicator, <laughs> it didn't sound like she held back at all. No. Straight to no. it. No. I mean, and she was, she was a full-on character. Her, you know, she had married this businessman. She speaks three different languages. Yeah. They have homes yeah. in Korea and in Japan. Um, she would come in like dripping and like she would drive up in her Mercedes, which is says a lot because the import tax on vehicles in Korea is very high. It like doubles the cost. So to pull up in a Mercedes and not a Kia is a huge thing or a Hyundai, right? It's a huge thing. So she comes up in her in her Mercedes, like dripping with furs and jewels, and she would sit there and like put on her makeup and be like, girls. It's better to be born pretty than rich. Because if you're pretty, you can get a rich husband. <laughs> <laughs> so again, this is Lee bringing the wisdom, if you will. <laughs> this is... I, I just... I hope I hope you have pictures of Mrs. Lee that you'll share with me soon because this woman sounds incredibly right. entertaining. Yes, yes. Well, and then her sister ran the guest house and it felt like a very Cinderella story. Like yeah. her sister is unmarried. She only speaks Korean. The entire time I was there, I swear she wore like the same tracksuit and she would go out in this like 20 degree 
like negative 20 degree weather with a whisk broom, like sweeping the courtyard and things. Oh, and she made my. us breakfast. And, um, but Mrs. Lee's sister has a few tricks up her sleeves. The last day that I was there, I was the last person. They weren't expecting any guests for a couple of days. And I come back to get my luggage and there is like Chanel cosmetics all over the counter. She is wearing some like Angora sweater. Like she's getting ready to go out. Right. <laughs> so she's just she's chilling. Ready. She's just chilling right. for days. Yeah, no, I'm just here doing my thing. Just do my rounds. Just do my rounds. Take care of business, doing the chores. Yes. In between party sessions. Yeah. <laughs> like, mama's gonna go play. And there was so when Richard and I went to dinner and then we went back to his hotel in the lobby, mind you, again, mm -hmm. public spaces, rules yeah, are here hey. too. Yes. And have a drink and talk about, you know, just uh how the trip was going and things like that. And he was saying that he travels to this hotel so often that they upgraded him. And part of the upgrade is like this giant fruit basket every morning. Like a person can only eat so much fruit. <laughs> <laughs> but every morning he gets this giant fruit basket. Yes. And so he sends me back with a bottle of wine and this giant fruit basket. And um and again, Mrs. Lee's sister, she doesn't speak any English. Yeah. But I came back and she was so happy and you know she we drank some of the wine together and watched Korean soap operas, which again, I have no idea what's going on. But you know, she, we're kind of miming to each other mm -hmm. and talking, and she was asking me if I kissed. Oh, <laughs> <Richard>? <laughs> She's hand gesturing yes, to you, yes, like yes, puppets, yes, like yes, little puppets. Like, Did you two yes, kiss? trying to save your life right now. <laughs> Little girl, right, you have no right, idea. Right, exactly. So again, like you ask how deep my Stockholm syndrome is. <laughs> you know? Mrs. <laughs> Lee's sister was like, we gotta get her back. <laughs> we plays too. No, no, no. But so, then, this is the most beautiful thing. And again, when I talk about like, I never knew that I could be loved like that. Mm -hmm. You know, this is part of it. And that um, I I got a cold. Mrs. Lee's sister sends me to this part of town to get this special soup that is made in a crock pot with, like, all of these herbs and ginseng and, like, a whole baby duck, right? And it's baked in the oven. It's this amazing, delicious soup. Mm -hmm. And I go there and I'm drinking this and it's like, you know, having life, you know, <laughs> breathe back into me. And there was a businessman at the table next to me who was asking where I was from. 
Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, I'm from the United States. Uh, Well, I said, well, I'm from Korea. I was adopted in the United States as an infant, and I came back to experience my culture. This man started crying. A total stranger. Really? Starts crying, and he grabs my hand and starts patting it, and he says, thank you for coming back. It was such a difficult time for our country, and we lost so many of you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Just a complete stranger. Complete stranger. And just feeling the brunt of everything, and on behalf of our entire people. We miss you. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever... That type of embrace, have you ever felt that anywhere in the U.S.? Any Like at home here, I mean, we're in Portland, right? So anywhere, have you felt that type of, I belong here? Have you felt that embrace of, of just pure love? Have I ever felt, and the answer is absolutely not. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, I have a place here. Certainly. And I have community here. Mm-hmm. I have family here, but, um, you know, I mean, let's look at where we're at right now. We've got, you know, a BLM movement. We've got the stop API hate Mm -hmm. when reality in America, there's never really been much Asian love. Right. And we talk about this and, and we're just now starting to peel back the layers of that and exposing that in, you know, the Chinese immigration act that was not just towards Chinese, it was quote unquote Chinese looking people, which, you know, is kind of crazy in itself, right? Yeah, the vagueness of the, that yes. is what allows for so much more abuse, mistreatment, and violence. Absolutely. And then it also creates like this monolith of culture of Asia mm-hmm. when in reality, like Asian is a continent that mm-hmm. includes Russia. Yeah. And it is many different cultures. And massive and, and vast and very unique. And even even where folks, especially, you know, in, in our westernized American education system where Korean and Japanese, they're so similar, right? So similar, but there's you just in this conversation alone, you made a very distinct difference, which is you know, like Mrs. Lee, (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Lee, outspoken Korean, and 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 then you know, Japanese, where it's you know, a more um submissive, uh, I guess baseline persona, which that plays into a lot of the the Asian hate, and that goes on is, is the fetishization of. It's even even that, right? Let's let's assume that one specific culture in all of Asia. Let's assume that one is is submissive, sure. but that's applied all across right. Asia. And then on top of that, the violence that comes with with men, uh, with anybody having the the fantasies and fetishizing over, oh, you know, the submissiveness of these individuals, and this is what I seek. And instead of, well. Okay, the classic, like, pick, pick on someone your own size. Right, Right, yeah. like, something like this. Like, you're going to fantasize over 
submissiveness over you know things like that. oh yeah it, it's so yucky right it's so yucky so i was you know and i believe that blm stop asian hate all of these are cars on the same train heading to the same destination yeah though again there are some fundamental differences mm-hmm. and like Theoretically, I guess, like my thought is that maybe some of these fundamental differences are within how it is that Asian people and black people, quote unquote, immigrated to this country, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Black people were stolen from their country, stripped of their identity, stripped of their names, stripped of their family lineage, stripped of their culture, stripped of all of these things, right? Right, right. And... Asian people were brought here to do the work that slaves were no longer doing. Right. The fundamental differences in the oppression of black people versus Asian people is that the message of oppression for black people is you belong to us. The message of oppression to Asian people is you don't belong here. Wow. That's a... That's there's loads to unpack with that. So in this in this, I mean, re- I don't know. Like, what do you think? Well, like, no, no. I, I think I think that's I, I think that's that's very accurate, right? I mean, slavery in America, the way that this was founded and everything mm-hmm. is yes, you know, black folks were property, you know, and even not just black folks. I mean, literally, like the one drop rule. If you had a, a drop of black blood in your lineage. You are black. That's yeah. it. And you're treated as as chattel. You are property and everything like that. So yes, you belong to us. That's that's a very different. I mean, psychologically, generationally, things that that are passed down, um, in that identity of self of your people of of all this stuff, right? So that experience when that's why it's so fascinating to hear you talk about going to Korea, right? Right. I still have not been to the entire continent of Africa, let alone the region like West Africa where my lineage Mm -hmm. would be from and i imagine that experience that you got to experience you know in your 20s going to korea i imagine that embrace i and that's something that was actually on my list in 2020 then COVID hit whatever so that's something that i definitely want to experience is is that and even still there's the this is my best guess Mm -hmm. at this is my people this is you know my where where my people are from and everything having an experience of you are property or you belong to us versus you just do not belong here at all. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very, it's a different battle. But like you said, like two different train cars on the same train going the same place. Yeah. But if you can unpack a little bit of, I mean, your experience and it's not something that I'm like, oh, hey, speak on behalf of all Asian people. Right, you? right. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Yes, it's very potential unique. better person, not spokesperson <laughs> for Asians or adoptees. Right, like, non right. nominated, <laughs> non verified. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So, on behalf of all adoptees and all Asian folks, and you're actually going to speak yeah. for all Asian folks, not just Korean, but sure. all of Asia entirely. Right. <laughs> like, no, not not doing yeah. that here. No. In your experience with with your entire life's experiences, what 
do you feel um, and maybe there's a distinction with with this being related to being adopted or being Korean, right? Mm-hmm. What levels do you see this show up where it's the you don't belong here experience? So, I mean, it happens more, you know, it's not like I have a giant sign on my face that says adopted. Right. But I, my face says not white. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's unique. It's not yes. like a <laughs> It's not like a language sure. that you can try, you know, let me throw in an accent or something right. like where it could slip up. You know, like yeah. I can't accidentally like I show up like Anya Haseo. Oh shit. Um, right. hello. How you guys doing? My, like and and I sold myself out. No, like right. my blackness it's it's visible, right? Your Koreanness yes. is visible. Yes. That's yes. not something that we can hide. Right, exactly. Whereas my adoption is not, right? Yeah, it's you you can opt in to share sure. that or not. Sure. So, um, you know, I the you don't belong here, you are foreign, you are exotic. That is a story that has been told to me my whole life by people. I remember the first time I heard a racial slur on the playground. Mm-hmm. A boy called me a gook. And I did not know what it meant. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand why he called me a goop. And what a, goop? <laughs> a goop with a yeah, P. Yeah, what's a goop? A goop? Why okay. is it, like, and all of my friends are like, ooh. You know, I was like, yeah. what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? And I was like, and they're like, oh, that's a bad word, girl. And I was like, but what does it mean? Yeah. And she's like, it's a bad word for overseas person. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you're not wrong, but maybe. Added to the confusion. <laughs> yeah, this is like a fifth grader trying to explain to another fifth grader a racial slur. Oh my god! Right? You know, I mean, I I had a similar experience with this with with the first time someone dropped the M bomb on me, right? And yeah. I'm just like, I don't know what this means. My response, my reaction to this is entirely based on the reaction that everybody else, yes. like, I don't yes. know what that means, but based on what everybody here is reacting like, this is a problem. This is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Like, now I gotta punch him in the face and go to the principal's <laughs> office. And, yeah. Like, this is a problem. Yeah. Like, you know. Like, right. Hey. Right. So that was very, that was, I mean, fifth grade, that was otherizing of you right there. You are not um, here. You're not of here. Right. Right. It's a bad word for, and by the way, this was my black friend explaining it to me (laughs) let me school you girl i've been dealing with this i know it's fifth grade i've been at it since second i'm gonna catch you up i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you yeah yeah and i was you know i was so confused i was like what's a goop (laughs) so stupid right But that's the difference between naivety and ignorance, right? Is that naivety or ignorance, you work to maintain that. Like, I'm not, you know, 40-something years old now calling people goops. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be offensive. Right, (laughs) right. That's real. I've learned the real word, and then we don't use it. (laughs) (laughs) The potential is shining. So, so you, so you have this experience, fifth grade, you don't belong here. That's, that's kind of crystal clear. Um, 
in 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 the way that that's expressed and oh absolutely absolutely or you know these microaggressions of like well where are you from but right. no where are you from from like really from where are you really from oh portland no right. no no exactly where are you from yes exactly <laughs> when they just say it louder like yeah. you're deaf or something <laughs> right you know or the like you yeah. know or people talking very slowly because they assume you don't speak english or right i mean it was just a couple of years ago that I had a photographer ask me what my nationality was. And I said, I'm a U.S. national. Yeah. No, I have citizenship. That's accurate. Like, yeah. That's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, but where are you from? Like, um, <laughs> Portland. Again, U.S. You also USA. Portland is, <laughs> by the way. Again, like, yeah. oh, wait, you just want to fetishize me. I got to quit this job. Yeah. Sorry, I'll see you later. <laughs> you know where to send the check, right? Yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> yeah. You know, but um, yeah, so that message is told. I mean, and again, these microaggressions. I was at the grocery store last year. And first of all, again, it's COVID. So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to stand in line for four hours to get into the nursery to get my starts or whatever. Right. I was just going to jam over to Fred Meyer and like see what they got going on that I can throw in the yard. And, um, and this woman asks, the guy working there, like, do you have any basil? And he says, oh, well, we're out. We just have this one Thai basil. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, what's the difference? And he was like, well, the Thai basil speaks with an accent. And I'm just like, well, what? The Italian basil doesn't have an Italian accent? Like, again, these microaggressions. They, <laughs> You are foreign, you are exotic, you don't speak English, you don't belong here. Right, right. So how how have you, you've, in a little over four decades of your life, you have managed to live happily and feel this level of fulfillment that i think is unique not just to not just to anybody in a specific sure. category most people i don't feel like have a daily life level that's like yeah you know i feel fulfilled there's more that i want to achieve and all these things but overall i feel fulfilled right and i feel yeah. like you exude that sure and there are definitely times where um like ultimately it's it's work right mm-hmm. like there's you work towards happiness i mean I, in my world, you work towards everything you have. So right. um, I believe, and again, I'm a very practical person. I tell myself a narrative and I stick to it and that's my truth. And like, we just keep moving forward. Yeah. Keep moving forward. So I believe that happiness is a choice. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that choice every day to mm-hmm. be happy. Um, there are times when I don't feel fulfilled. And in those moments, I focus on the abundance that I do have. Mm-hmm. Um, I lean in the other direction. I count my blessings. I, you know, all of those things. I do have a lot of things to be grateful for. I have a husband who loves me. That's beautiful. Deeply loves me. Doesn't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't understand me, but supports me and gets me. And like, that's totally fine. I mean, I, I mean, I think that we understand each other as much as you can. And we come to, agreements pretty easily mm-hmm. and again just move forward yeah you know that's arguably a greater level of love 
there's there's a there's a there's room to debate it but that's sure? arguably a greater level of love that he does not get you and yet he loves you yeah right i don't need you to understand me i just need you to love me right yeah. just when i'm excited for this be excited for me when yeah. i you know whatever it is the encouragement support and all that if he doesn't understand that that because that's tough to do right like right. You, you've said multiple right. times you're a very practical person yeah and you have your narrative and you go with that and everything <laughs> this is in a sense it's like okay i don't understand her narrative <laughs> right yeah but i love her sure and that's where he's operating from that's yes. arguably a more that's arguably it's, a deeper level of love than fully understanding and totally getting and right you know that's that's great i mean he lets me underestimate him all the time <laughs> You sound like my lady. Jeanette, Jeanette is like, Jeanette will, she'll roast me. Yeah. She will roast me so hard all the time. And then it's like, yeah, okay, well, here, here we go. Let's try to, let's try to outperform. <laughs> let's see if I can maximize this potential. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, and I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine about this. And I am so lucky I have this person in my life. His name is Tony. And Tony and I were introduced through mutual friends and there is some theory, like people, you know, the person that introduced us, he himself, maybe I believe it a little bit, I don't know, believe that we were actually literally separated at birth. <laughs> Tony was adopted from South Korea the same year through the same agency as me. No way. Yes. And, um, but again, like, I mean, let's also remember how many people were adopted out of South Korea. Well, yeah, just and from the reaction of that businessman you sat next to that was brought yes, to tears. Yes. It, yeah, it sounds yeah. like a ton. I mean, it's, I yeah. want to say, I think it was like from 1980 to 1989, like mm -hmm. there were over 160,000 international adoptions out of South Korea. Just South Korea alone? Just South Korea alone. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I have Tony and having this person who I have this shared experience yeah. with, who has a face that is similar to mine, right. you know, it's, it is a very deep connection that he and I have. Yeah. And when the insurrection happened, uh, at the beginning of January, I say to my husband, who is white, if if y'all haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> uh, I say to my husband, I like, I don't feel safe in my own skin. Wow. And he says, um, okay. I said, I think we're gonna get the windows in the car tinted because I don't want people to look in the car and see that I'm Asian and blame me for the kung flu and like. Yeah. And he was like, if that's what you want to do and then if that will make you feel safer then absolutely mm -hmm. i then call tony and i'm like tony i don't feel safe in my own skin we're gonna get the windows tinted and tony is like okay, okay i mean and not in these words but he's like let's unpack this yeah where is this coming from why are you feeling this way i relate to you in these ways but like Driving an all black SUV with like tinted windows, you might actually be calling more attention to yourself. <laughs> Good call, Tony. Good call. The no, fans. She right, the fans. Exactly. You got chrome rims, girl. Oh. Hey. Oh, no. 
<laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Right, right? Exactly. But, you know, I didn't expect my husband to sympathize with me, to identify with me, to anything. Yeah. And he didn't expect himself to either. Yeah. He recognized that we have very different experiences. Correct. And he just wants to support me and whatever it takes to make sure that I feel safe. That's solid. You know, and that is a huge act of love. And again, you talk about like getting over yourself and getting over your ego or like, you know, there's no like white savior of like, oh, well, we're just gonna make like a, a white face and you can wear that mask and like yeah. roll around town and do your shopping. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there was no like any any craziness. It was just like, okay. And then, yo, know, and he also knew and understood and respect that like, I'm gonna call Tony and like, Tony is gonna be like, whoa, girl. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, girl. Yeah, I love that. Hey, if you know? that's, that's something that is really, really important, especially coming off of last year, a lot of energy behind the Black Lives Matter movement and everything like that. There was obviously loads of phone calls, texts, messages, emails, all these things, especially me being a black man. It's like, it, this was flooded, right? Mm -hmm. For black folks. And then yeah. as of recently, and I know you've had some messages shared with mm -hmm. you and everything after yeah. with Stop Asian Hate and all this stuff, all this stuff. And actually episode seven with Faith, she shares a lot around uh, equity and inclusion and things that folks should do. And one of these key things that Faith was saying was everybody wants to, oh, hey, we want to be inclusive and, and show diversity. Will you come to our group? She's like, do you know anybody? Sure. Do you know? Yeah. First, figure out in your own life. Go go meet people. Go where they are. Go right. do the thing, right? right? Around this. Don't bring them to you, but you go to them. Yes. If you want to experience their culture mm -hmm. and see things from their perspective go to them yeah don't be like oh hey why don't you come sit over here on whiteness and yeah. see how it is that i see you <laughs> yes and like you're cool girl yeah like see this is we're cool yeah like, yeah we're cool we're the cool right. ones we're exactly. the cool ones like and definitely and you know i mean i remember talking to people after the insurrection and sharing with a few like you know i like, like, I really don't feel safe in my own skin. Yeah. And then being like, well, why? You're not black. <laughs> well, know? fast forward, what, five, three months late, two months right. later. Sure. And sure. here we and are. And here we Jeez. are. And it's only been two months. I know. Jesus. I know. Hold <laughs> on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. You know, but, and I have, you know, again, like, I get all these messages of, like, are you okay? Thinking of you. Love yeah. you. Are you okay? And, like. Frankly, frankly, I mean, I'm just going to be candid. I don't yeah. know if I'm allowed to use these words. 100% anything goes on this podcast. Like, we heard the fart before the shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, a year ago. Long ago. Long yes. ago. Yes. We, you know, the minute you start talking about, like, Kung flu and China virus and Wuhan, you yep. know, flu, like yep. those sorts of things. We yep. saw this coming. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, you know, I mean, and definitely like I've had my own experiences with it and I've talked to other friends who they or their family have had experiences within yeah. the last year of being verbally accosted on the street by people. Yeah. Uh, 
whether, you know, and I think that there was one point where I was on the phone with my brother, I was outside and there was this woman who's like, you know, calling me all sorts of names and stuff, telling me I stink and she can smell me. And my brother was like, that woman sounds like she needs to get her teeth kicked in. And I was like, <laughs> don't worry, honey. She's in enough pain. Mm -hmm. Damn. You know, I mean. Damn. Like, That's real. That's the reality of it, though, is, yeah. is we by nature project. Right. We what I'm feeling, this is how I see the world. And then when I see these things reflected from other people, when I see something that's triggering for me, it's because a I'm either seeing them perform what is a shortcoming of myself. Right. And that's what was really triggering to me because I'm like, man, I'm not fulfilling my potential. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, right? Yeah. Or there's some shortcoming or there's something we're just not proud of uh, sure. in ourselves. And, and that's coming out in some way, shape or form. So sure. for you to say, that, yeah, she's in enough pain. That's that's very real beyond what a lot of people understand, like around the psychology of self mm -hmm. and and how that shows up in social interactions. Well, and I know that in time, like there have been times, again, I'm working towards my potential, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there have been times that I've been um, self-deprecating or, Same. you know, racist within myself. Same. And it came from a place of self-loathing. Yes. It came from a place of like shame or embarrassment in mm -hmm. who I was. And like, that is some real soft tissue it is. you know for and, sure and when you are when you can muster up the courage to touch that wound yeah you realize that that's a kind of the medicine that you needed but b it gives you it gives you a little bit of perspective of like where maybe some of these other people are coming from is that like this is coming from like and then also again like ignorance you know again the difference between in my world ignorance and naivety is that you work to maintain ignorance correct yeah right and so um and in the things that we are seeing now right like i guess there's so many questions and i don't have any of the answers um you know it's like how much do you force a society to change or allow it to evolve? Right. And um, I don't know. Yeah. Again, <clears throat> I'm just trying to be a better person myself. <laughs> Hopefully y'all can find forgiveness for <laughs> you know, the things that I've said and done in the past and know yeah. that I'm trying to do better. So that's one thing that I want to hammer home real quick before we bring this to a close is that forgiveness, that sense of, you know, you at the forefront before you've done something like asking forgiveness. And, and this is kind of a way that our society has gone where, you know, everything has to be politically correct and, and this cancel culture and stuff like this, right? There's a lot of danger around that. And I think part of what needs to happen in order for us to keep living freely, truly with some liberty, right? Mm -hmm is that we have to we have to be forgiving, right? Uh, on some level, I brought it up in the podcast as well, episode seven with Faith, that you schooled me just two weeks ago oh. on the difference, uh, or that there were yes. even any differences between internment camps and concentration camps. Yes. I Before then, I had no idea, right? And that was 
not ignorance, that was naivety, naivety right? Sure. And that's something that I I hope more people, I hope if you're listening to this, that that you'll you'll take more chances in an effort to grow, to have potential to be better. <laughs> <laughs> In order to do that, we have to go on and and make some mistakes. But even if you're doing things correctly, a lot of what is correct is based on your narrative. Like you're saying, you have your narrative for your life. You live by that. That's what you go by. And and, and you rock with that and run with it, right? It doesn't matter what you do, how you live. You're going to piss somebody off because there's differing perspectives. There's there's this side and that side. There's all of these different things. So no matter how you live, somebody's going to be pissed off, which is why it's important to have some critical thinking around your own life to figure out what narrative do I actually want to live by? What do I actually want to believe? Do I want to believe that this guy who made a joke about basil and Thai basil speaking with an accent, do I want to take that as, man, that's really offensive and I have to do something about it right now? Is that the narrative I want to live by? Or do I want to live by uh, a comedian's narrative that (laughs) everything has humor to it, right? Sure. The way you, I, I agree with you with this, that there's happiness and joy in everything, right? Happiness is a choice. That's a narrative you and I both are completely same page with, right? But some people have a differing thing that 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 could be offensive because, oh, you you mean to tell me at a funeral that that's a joyous time, there's happiness there? Well, in my opinion, yes, there is happiness always accessible. There's joy always accessible. And I want to be, yes, for me, Mm-hmm. For us, yes. But also, I want to be sensitive to those that are struggling with mental illness. Yes. Who cannot find that place. Who work. Who strive to be there. Mm-hmm. But they just can't. Right. Their hormone levels, their serotonin, their, you know, there's a lot of yes. things that are up against them that they are struggling to kind of, to get through. And mm-hmm. I feel for those people. And definitely I um, I don't want to, again, diminish mental illness at all mm-hmm. in this again. And us like only speaking for ourselves and not for the- you know, <laughs> On behalf of is, all of my people. <laughs> on behalf of all Asian people, we acknowledge mental illness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. No, that's 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 very real. And that's something that's also why this is important to me to keep having conversations, keep making episodes with different folks. And I do. I actually have in mind um, not just episode one where my mom. Right. We've talked about depression and things. I have a couple of friends that I really want to get on here and and chat about depression. Um, One of my closest friends, he's battled it for years in a a very like heavy way. And and Mm -hmm. it's amazing. I mean, there's so much depth to mental illness that is let alone like not just oh we don't know a lot or we haven't mm-hmm. explored a lot but it's also just the the shaming of it right yes. so around the world of adoption mm-hmm. and everything that comes around that there's so many misconceptions around that same with mental health right right where I want to dive into this and I plan to dive into this, but absolutely right. Like it's not something to say, oh, you should be living up to this happiness or anything like that. Sometimes the the biggest accomplishment of the day is I got out of bed. Yep. Like if you if you did that or let's say, you you know, you laid in bed, you couldn't even get out of bed. But there's there's levels to this and there is a ton of importance around um, 
around being okay with the hard days. Yep. Being okay with I I didn't I didn't reach a new personal best today, and it's actually been years since I reached a personal sure. best, and that's okay. But the optimism right. is what's key, even when everything is shitty. Yep. Knowing that, and this is what my mom talked about with her depression. She's like, I always knew, even in the darkest of days, that it would get better. This is not permanent. Right. Whatever I'm experiencing, that's for happiness as well. You know, whatever yep. I'm experiencing right now is not permanent, and things go, um, they they do change. So. In closing, I wanted to ask you this. With so many different misconceptions around the adoption world, in your experience, not being the spokesperson for all (laughs) (laughs) adoptees, but yes, what is one thing that you can think of that there's, whether it's in our society or even your experience in, in Korea? Anywhere. What, what is one thing that is a big misconception or misperception around the adoption world and, and the experience of either adopting or being adopted that you would like to address in your experience personally that you could say, you know what? You know the answer. You know the answer. We've already emailed about this. Like, I you know, know but- the answer. And, the, and for me and my experience, I think the biggest misconception is that you know, you were given up for adoption because you were not wanted. And that is completely untrue in my experience, in my thought process. I believe that giving a child up for adoption is the greatest act of love, the biggest sacrifice that you can make for another person in hopes of them having a better life, in hopes of them having opportunity or in hopes of them having something that you don't feel capable of giving them. And it is a huge act of love because it is an extraordinarily difficult decision for somebody to make who is in a desperate, difficult situation. Yeah. Adoptees, you are loved, you are wanted, you belong. (laughs) That's beautiful. Okay, so just to add on to that, in your own words, this is, yes. and I'm paraphrasing here, uh-huh. but when when you did, when we did exchange a, a bit on this, one of the things that struck me the most was you said there's a uniqueness around being adopted because you know that your parents wanted you. Yes. And that hit home for me because there's so many people that have accidents, right? Sure. There's so many people that have kids right. that yeah. I, I wasn't ready. I didn't want this. We didn't right. plan it or anything like this, right? It's far more common for those experiences than the stories where it's like, oh, we wanted we wanted a kid so bad and then boom, we had you, yes. right? That was something that really, really struck home for me. I had never even considered that, even, even thinking of adoption, that it was something so deeply desired. That's very different from a lot of parenting experiences, I think. Sure, sure. I mean, I think that a lot of people, like, you know, whether or not you were a planned pregnancy or just like, oh, you were a surprise, quote unquote surprise, or you were a quote unquote gift, or you were, you know, that sort of thing. It was like, no, I mean, my story that the narrative that has been told to me my entire life is we went through great lengths to have you as a part of our family. You make our family. We did not have a family 
until you came. We were not a family until you were here, you know? And my adoption, I mean, it's very obvious. My parents are white, I'm not, and I rem and my parents never hid it from me. They never tried to like make up some story of like, oh, well this panda dropped you off on our doorstep or anything <laughs> like that. You know, it was, it, you know, I mean, I remember like kids being like, why don't you look like your mom or dad? And I was like, I'm adopted. Yeah. You know, my name is Kimberly So Miller and the so is my dad wanting me to remember where I came from and he gave me part of my Korean name as my American name. What a legend. You know, I mean, well, and it goes on. I mean, if you want to talk about like my brother's name from Vietnam was Hai Nguyen and his middle name was Hai and I joke about, you know, him giving his first two kids the middle names so high because my mom made him quit growing marijuana on the roof of the garage <laughs> when they adopted us because she was scared the social worker was going to take us away. <laughs> hey, well, he's got to chat with he's got to chat with my man Jack. My man Jack from from one of our episodes, the cannabis grower, yes. professional cannabis grower, present day. Wow, so high, so high. Yeah, I love this. But you know, I mean, again, it's part of my name. It's part yeah. of like it's always been with me. I love it. That uh, you know, this is you. This is who you are. That's so dope. Yeah, I love it. All right, All right. any anything you want to leave that you haven't said so far that you want to share oh god um with the people any any last thoughts well, i just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast i've been a fan of the podcast <laughs> since the first time i heard it you know i came in i was like listen i i heard you I, like, you told me about it yesterday i was listening to it today it's so good i love it's that. so good it's so good and you know you do touch on these things like not just in your episodes with your mom and faith and things like that you talk about it in I'm not sure which episode, but you talk about, you know, your friend who's in like heading towards impending danger, you know, mm. of like, you know, and maybe that danger is just not living up to their potential as a better person. Yes. You know, hey, Kim, I heard you on that podcast. You said some whack shit. Like, <laughs> I think you're better than this. Like, okay, I, okay. Like, give you, it to well, me. Tony, like, Tony's going to hit you up. Like, I know. Hey, listen, listen, listen. You weren't supposed to say my name. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, that's fantastic. And if you do have friends, this is, again, community building. Get you some friends that will hold you accountable. Yes. And keep it real with you yes. on 100%. your potential. Get and new friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining, for sharing. I, I think there's a lot more we could dive into for sure. Um, one of the key takeaways here, I plan to go, Jeanette and I are going to sit down and watch Daughter of Da Nang. Oh, okay, great. Yes. yes. Uh, it it's sounds like we need to have some tissues yes. handy. We're going to yes. be in tears. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Adopted life can be an incredible experience. That's very, very largely misunderstood. Yep. And <sighs> be proud of who you are, where you came from, and like, you know, every narrative is special. 
and yes. there is a place for you. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> and claim your appreciations for today. That's my thing. <laughs> yes, always. always count your appreciations <laughs> for today. Uh, that's it for now. Much love until next time.